us. Okay, and this is this planner is the Bible, and um, <clears throat> and so we're 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 kind of simple pulling out some passages that highlight um, prophetic events, and these aren't the only ones by far, but these are major ones that I think it does us well to keep in mind. We're going to read First Thessalonians chapter four, or pardon me, chapter five in just a moment, but I want to bring your attention to the to little to our screen here where we have an illustrate kind of illustrate where we're going. To the far left side here, think of history of where we're at now. We're kind of off the screen, okay? We're left of the screen, and history is progressing this way. At any moment, the Scripture teaches there could be a rapture. Right there is the first thing you see, that we're caught up together with the Lord in the air. That was what Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians 4. The, Philippians, or the Thessalonians didn't know much about it. You know why? Because it wasn't in the Old Testament. The Corinthians didn't know anything about it. You know why? Because Paul says, I show you a mystery. It was not something known until the New Testament because the church wasn't known in the Old Testament. It was known once Jesus came to earth and the Jews rejected him. He, the mystery plan of God was to have a church, to have a called out people, a bride to himself for these many years, 2,000, maybe it'll be 3,000 years. And when he's done with that mystery event, then it'll be a mystery time that they're going to get raptured out. And then he'll resume everything he had been saying back in the Old Testament that's clearly known, and he'll resume the, the Old Testament prophecies. But here's the next thing that we now know as Christians is that there could be a rapture at any time. The world doesn't have to be going bad. The world doesn't have to be going good. It could just happen any moment. Um, the next thing we see is what we'll deal with today, is the seven-year tribulation. It's also known as the day of the Lord. And that's kind of we're going to speak of it from the standpoint of the day of the Lord. Okay? There's another section in the future called the day of the Lord. That's when he destroys the whole... Well, he, he, uh, there's a battle at the end of the millennium, millennial reign. It's called the day of the Lord. And when he renovates, or he really just renews the whole world and the universe, right. the earth's going to be on fire. It's going to be burned up. The, all the whole heaven's going to be burned yep. up. And it's called the day of the Lord. That time's called the day of the Lord, too, in 2 Peter. But we're going to talk about the day of the Lord being these first seven years of what's called a tribulation. We're going to talk about that today. The next time, uh, we'll talk about a judgment seat of Christ. That's when we're in heaven, and it's an evaluation of our service to Him. It's not a time of punishment. It's a time of reward or lack of reward. And then we'll talk about when Jesus comes back to earth and actually physically steps on earth, and he reigns, the reign of Christ called the millennial reign, 1,000 years. That's the fourth thing. And then the fifth thing, not that there's only five, but the fifth thing, we'll, re, we'll revisit again the great white throne judgment that we see in Revelation. So let's take today, if you remember, if you remember 1 Thessalonians 4 was about the rapture. And they were like, the, the, the Christians were like, what's going to happen? My loved ones die. What's going to happen if Jesus comes back? And Paul said, no, they're going to get caught up, and you're going to get caught up together with them. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and be forever with the Lord. But then he moves to this other subject that they did know about. Chapter 5, they knew about this day of the Lord, and why would they have known about this? Because the Old Testament already says it. And so he noticed the language here. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and this is not milk today, okay? So... Think and perceive and ask God to open your eyes and help you grasp some of these things, okay? This is 
God's uh, future events, and one of them is a segment of time called the Day of the Lord, and that's our goal is to unpack that today. Notice what Paul says in the context of a church, chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of, the, nor of darkness. Let us, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and foreign helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, pardon me, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Um, here we have 1 Thessalonians. That's where we're at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and um, verses 1 through 11 is what we're reading. Um, this passage reminds me of something that some of you probably knew about <clears throat> in history. It was a, it is a beautiful city. Small, it wasn't big, but it's in Italy. Italy's a nice place to go. But during the summer of, it was a AD 79 in Italy, in one of their most, in one of their pleasant and attractive cities in AD 79, so almost 2,000 years ago, people were going about their business in that day and age, in their little town and village and that little area they had. It was a little east of Naples. Some of us are like, I don't know where any of that is. I've never been there. Well, if you had, then it's east of Naples, okay? South and east of Naples on the kind of the western part of the peninsula there of Italy, the boot. And, um, and people are going about their businesses in this pleasant place, pleasant town, pleasant little city. Uh, girls were talking outside by a water fountain. Boys were carrying baskets of uh, fruit working in the market. Some of them was leading a, a ox uh, through, the, through the streets. Uh, a baker just put several dozen loaves. This is true. A baker just put several dozen loaves of bread into an oven. Um, uh, people were getting, having their lunch. Um, but about midday in this city called Pompeii, <laughs> the nearby Mount Vesuvius began to erupt. And within 24 hours, they were gone. It was a day unlike any other day. In, in fact, it was the most devastating, um, one of the most devastating, if not the most devastating volcanic eruption in Europe at that time. The first stage is an eruption of this nearby mountain or volcano Mount Vesuvius began to erupt. The first stage of the eruption featured a blast that sent pumice stones thousands of feet into the air. And then it lands, of course, 
in the town. These stones fell like rain upon the surrounding towns. There was another little town, steadily burying them for roughly five hours. As the rocks continued to fall, they grew in size, and they were hot. Until for the next few hours, they caused buildings and structures to collapse. The second stage of the eruption happened apparently about 12 to 17 hours later when a ferocious, it's called a pyroclastic flow, poured from the volcano. What happens is these volcanoes, by the way, there's an African continental plate and the European continental plate that's a subduction and it's, you know, it's a little friction there inside the earth and the earth goes boom like that. And that's what happens. And it blew up and this, when it fell back down on, the, on this volcano, it started rolling with gas, deadly gas, and lava-like uh, material going at a rapid high speed at 500 and over 500 degrees going rushing towards this town, and it buried people. It was enough to kill all these people in a fraction of a second on the second surge on the second blast. The heat was so intense that organs and blood were vaporized and at least one victim's brain was vitrified. That means turned into a glassy substance because of the heat and fusion. This is true. They don't know how many died. They think it's between 1,500 and 16,000 people died in Pompeii in that famous eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Also, they, and, and after a while, they didn't even know where the town was. It, 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 for the next 1,500 years, they didn't even remember where it was until in the 1,500s, they started digging. Somebody found it. Oh, and it, what was buried was everything. Their villas, an impressive forum, an amphitheater. It was all buried. I mean, there was piles of this levels of ash and, and lava that had hardened and all the volcanic rock. It was buried, and they started excavating it. And some of you know this. It's easy to find. You can actually find casts of people on the ground in their movement. Some people had food in their mouth, like the baker that had the bread in the oven. They found this buried down. And they've done, you know, forensic stuff about these people. And they were just, uh, they were um, uh, instantly, abruptly, their life was abruptly um, shaken and devastated. And that abrupt day in history, people know about, uh, is like a symbol of something that truly is going to happen in a greater and more extensive way on all the inhabitants of the earth. And I say this by the words of God, not by the desire to hype people up. The Bible refers to this day of the Lord. Look at verse 2. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord... That phrase, notice that phrase, day of the Lord. When is, that else, when is that phrase else said in the Bible? It's said especially if you were to, you're not gonna, you don't have to right now. Well, maybe we'll. We'll look at a couple of scriptures. But especially in the Old Testament, these Old Testament prophets use that phrase, day of the Lord, the day of God, the day of His wrath. In that day, somebody counted those about 100 times in some way that phrase is used. The day of the Lord, it is a famous phrase that the Old Testament prophets use. What were they talking about? It could be, it was usually, it could be, it's usually two things, one of two things. The prophets in the Old Testament that were part of this country, Israel, when the country was bad, the prophets would speak up and they would talk about how God is, all right, you're being bad. God's sending in the Assyrians to come plunder, take us captive. And when they would describe those things, they would call that the day of the Lord. 
because it was fierce. How would you like getting taken and have a nose ring put in? Not because you look cool. Because they would put a nose ring in you and drag you off to Babylon. They would do that. And they would, they would some of the men, they'd strip naked and drag them shamefully down. And the, there would be a day of judgment. Or there happened a day of judgment for northern Israel and the southern kingdom where they were taken captive because of their disobedience. That was called the day of the Lord. Some of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, some of the other ones called it the Amos. Then there was another day of the Lord where that was kind of just a shadow of another day of the Lord. It's the, the one that we're talking about here of this that's coming next. Seven-year tribulation, time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the Lord. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. This is a little bit heavy, but hold your place in Thessalonians, and let's read. And if you can't turn there fast enough, that's all right. Look in Isaiah. <clears throat> I, don't think you, I don't want you to think I'm just some crazy preacher, you know. Here's the pastor saying this weird stuff. Here's, but here's Isaiah. This is stuff that's been in the book for a long time. Sometimes people misuse these scriptures and... But let's just look at them here, and I'll try to give you the honest uh, angle on it. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 to 11. Isaiah 13, verse 6 to 11. If you can't turn there, don't just wait, and let me read this to you. The day of the Lord. It's a day when God's going to apply His judgment. Man has had their day. All right, then. God has His day, and He's going to apply His judgment. He's going to set up His kingdom. Here we go. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Howl ye... For the day of the Lord is at hand. He's talking about the one that's coming after us. Howl ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. And they shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy sinner, the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease." And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. You see that? There's a description of the day of the Lord. Look at, go to the right again and go to, uh, let's see, go to Joel. It's like, man, that's hard to find Joel. I don't remember seeing that guy. Just keep going to the right. You'll pass uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, or Jeremiah, Lam Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Joel. I'm going to read out of Joel if you can get there. I mean, if you can't get there, I'm still going to read it. Here we go. Joel uh, chapter 2. Joel mentions this phrase several times. I'll just give you a few samples. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Joel 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all my, the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains." A great people and strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall there be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen 
so they shall run. I want you to skip up to verse um, 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? You're like, I can handle it. No, you can't handle God's day. It's talking about this future day of judgment. Joel mentions both. There was a near one and there was a far one. If you study him, he mentions both of them. Look at chapter 3 now. Chapter 3 of this same book. You're already there. Um, oh, there's, there's a lot. I'm not, I'm not reading you everything he's saying. I'm just giving you some samples. Look at verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. He's talking about... Uh, judgment on a, on, a, on a group, a large group. He says, put ye in the sickle. For the harvest of ripe, come, get you down for the press is full, the fats overflow for their wickedness is great. Look at verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Jesus mentioned this day in Matthew 24, 21. Go back to the New Testament if you're uh, able to there. Matthew 24, 21. And Jesus mentioned this great tribulation time, the day of the Lord. And he says, when he started describing it, he says in Matthew 24, 21, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Wow. I came to church and pastors telling me about the worst day ever. Man. Well, why don't we just all stick our heads in the dirt and not ignore everything? No, it'd be good to know. God wants us to know His plans. And it has a, it's supposed to have a sobering effect on us. So we're talking about the day of the Lord. Now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians, and now we're going to spend our time here. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 through 11, the day of the Lord. And, and so let's look at some points about this, okay? I'm not going to kill these things. I'm going to swiftly go through them, all right? Number one, the day of the Lord is a commonly known time. So do you know about it? Thessalonians did. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh. Well, they knew about it. They knew about this. How did they know? As I meant, asked late, earlier. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what Isaiah had said and Jeremiah had said and some Joel and some Amos. and um, They knew about the day of this day. God's going to bring this judgment and then He's going to finally arrive on earth and set things right. They knew about that. See, that's the problem is that they're like, that's why in chapter 4 they didn't know about the rapture. They're like, Paul's like, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant of this part, he says. And so he tells them, look, we're going to be caught up and we're going to be forever with the Lord and this and that. And then he starts talking about, but you know the day of the Lord. And he starts describing it and he starts saying a they and he starts saying a we and a they and a we and a they. He's saying basically, we're not going to be there, but you know about it, don't you? But remember, you're going to be gone. So comfort one another with these words, he says. So this was a commonly known time. The rapture in chapter 4, the, 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 the retribution in chapter 5. There's the rapture talks about joy in chapter 4. In chapter 5, it talks about judgment. And he says, knowing the distinction between those two, in chapter 4, verse 18, and chapter 5, verse 11, he says, this should bring you comfort, knowing this distinction. So it's a commonly known time. Number two, it comes during an atmosphere of peace. It comes during a time of peace. 
He's like, what about this day of the Lord stuff? I mean, wow. Well, you know, it's actually going to be cool and chill before it happens. It, because God says so. It's going to be all cool and chill. Look what it says, chapter 5, verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That's usually quiet and peaceful. But not only that. For when they shall say, verse 3, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child they shall not escape. It comes during a time of peace. So this future event, this future time where God actually starts sending judgments on the earth, there will also be witnessing on the earth, there will also be some salvations, but this time that's described in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, when this day of the Lord comes, actually before it's going to be like, hey, this is nice. This is nice. Peace, peace. we're good, we're good. They're going to say peace and safety. You know how they're going to say that? Well, the Bible tells us how. In Daniel... It says there's a seven-year prophetic week time that hasn't been fulfilled yet. It hasn't. It's the 70th week of Daniel. And, and the beginning of it, the way it starts to get fulfilled is this guy, this mesmerizing leader comes on the scene in the world and he brokers a deal with Israel. Everybody keeps getting irritated with Israel. Oh, I'm tired of these Israelis. Can we just have a two-state solution here with these Israeli-Palestinians? And everybody's, finally this guy's going to come on the scene. He's like, no, we, we can work. Let's work this out. And he's going to work out a deal with Israel and whoever else. And he's going to have a covenant. It's the Antichrist. He won't seem very Antichrist at first, though. He's going to have a covenant. He's going to make, he's going to confirm the covenant, it says in Daniel 9, with many for one week. It's talking about giving, finally establishing a covenant with Israel. And then in the middle of the week, he's going to break it and it's going to get real ugly. But even before that, the Bible talks about some judgments coming on the earth. But here's what I'm trying to say. He's going to say, oh, we got peace. We're good. In Revelation, it talks about there's these horsemen in Revelation 6. There's, they represent things that are going to come on the earth. The first horseman looks cool. It's a guy on a white horse, man, riding his white horse, and he's got a bow. No, no weapons. No weapons. He's good. He's riding on the horse, conquering and to conquer. It's like, yeah, we're doing good. He's got a weapon. He's not shooting anybody. We're peace. It's peace. That guy's Antichrist. God's going to send Antichrist onto the earth, and it's going to seem cool and peaceful. Everybody's like, peace, peace, we're good, man. But you know what the next horse is? Red. It means, boom, there's going to be war and bloodshed, and it's going to start, there's going to be some systematic judgments. The idea here is that when God sends his day of the Lord come, it's not going to be like, oh, we, 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 we you know, we, like it was, Easily seen in that sense. There are some signs, but it's not, but they're going to, but verbally and communicating, they're going to say, well, it's peace and safety. Did you know, like um, in Noah's day, Jesus referred to this in Matthew 24, 36 to 39. You know, here's Noah's day. <laughs> Noah's preaching to the crowd, preaching to the world, preaching to the world. He's a preacher of righteousness. And they did whatever's right in their own eyes, and they did, you know, they were wicked and everything. Like, yeah, whatever, Noah. Noah's like, ah, God's going to send a rain. He's going to judge the earth. God's going to send a rain and judge the earth. Yeah, what are you doing over there building that boat? What's that for? And he preaches, and they basically ignored him. So Noah only had his, his three sons and their, those wives and his own wife. And there come a day where Noah finally quietly gets into the ark, and God shuts the door, and Noah's not seen anymore. And then at some point after that, 
it starts raining and raining and raining and raining. And the flood came and took them all away. It's similar to the church. We're supposed to be the voice of truth to the world, holding forth the word of life. And finally, one day we're going to be taken into the, to the ultimate ark, Jesus, safely secured in him. And we're not seen anymore. And we're going to be lifted up above the wrath, just like the, the ark was lifted up above all the water. We're going to be lifted up above the wrath. And there's going to be this day of the Lord on the earth where there's these systematic judgments that happen. You can read about them in Revelation 6 through 19, as I said. And then when he's done, just like the ark, it came back down, and it was a new world. And that's what's going to happen to us. One day, the Christians are going to be taken up. God's going to accomplish his purpose there of, of these judgments on the earth. And then we're going to come down, and he's going to establish a new world. Jesus said it was like the days of Noah. But before that, that's going to be like, peace, oh, we're good. Maybe they even thought that when Noah, finally, finally that guy goes back into his boat. Yeah. We're good now. Let's, let's have another marriage party somewhere. You know, and What's that stuff coming out of the sky? I, I don't know. But, but there was this element of, well, you know, we're, we're okay. It's, it's tranquil now. And they didn't know until the flood came, Jesus said. Pompeii was at rest till the day it wasn't. You know Sodom and Gomorrah? If you ever study about Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, affluent, attractive, um, good economy it appears, but totally perverted. And you know what? In a day they were gone. The whole, use a fire and brimstone preacher. No, God was the first one. He did the fire and brimstone right on Sodom and Gomorrah. In a day it was gone. But it was peaceful before that. But in a day, it was gone. And so the idea is that things can change quick. So here's the day of the Lord. We're back in 1 Thessalonians. All right, what's this talking about? All right, everybody knows it's common knowledge. Number two, it's, it comes during an atmosphere of peace. Number three, it, it's catastrophic destruction, if I haven't described that already. Uh, catastrophic destruction arrives here. My clicker's not working. If you do number three for me, Yannick. Um, look at the Bible there. They shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. What's it talking about? I'm going to give you a really fast description of that. In Revelation, it talks about people, a fourth, at first, a fourth of the people of the earth die through war or plagues. A lot of the crops die. First, God does it in sections. He doesn't do it all at once. He does like a fourth of the crops. A fourth of the water gets poisoned, or maybe it's even a third. I can't remember. Some of the sea life is destroyed. A huge, some kind of meteor falls out of the sky and, and poisons some of the natural uh, water or the fresh waters, hail and fire at some point come at some on the on the on the earth and big large stone like hail. There's these demonic locusts. I think Joel referred to it in the chapter we started to read. These demonic locusts come on the earth. There's a 200 million man army. Some people think those might be demonic, and there's a sudden catastrophic destruction. Jesus referred to some of it in Matthew 24. Number four, we're going to move on here. Day of the Lord, it's compared to the waves of labor pain. Labor pain. Oh, God's speaking about labor pain here. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This time is like travail. Now, all right, so let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About ten or more ladies in here that's given birth. So, look, I'm going to be careful about talking about this. I know it's painful, but God uses it. What I've noticed it, with my wife being pregnant 
is that early on she has these fake uh, false labor, you know, the Braxton Hicks things. It's like, oh, I feel this little thing, but it's like, no, you're only three months pregnant. That's nothing. And, and she knows that. And so you kind of have the false labor. But then when, when you're within that last month, it's like, oh, man, you start getting these labor things, you know. You start getting some uh, uh, labor pains that maybe go for a minute or two, and then it'll stop, and then maybe the next day you'll have it. And then in a, in a couple more weeks, you start having it apart. They start, the, the, the intervals start coming a little closer together and more intense. And then the, usually the day of the birth, it's like you're having them, I don't know, forgive me, ladies, for not getting all the timing right, but it, they get start closer together, you know, maybe every 15 minutes, and it's a little more intense. And then it's every 10 minutes I'm having these contractions, you know, cramping contractions, and, and then it goes away, and then, and then it comes back another 10 minutes later, you know, and then, and then it's when they're five minutes apart. Is that the deal, babe? Okay, any closer. They start getting closer together and more intense, okay? So I'm saying that to help you understand the Bible. The Lord says, in one of the, we read, I think, is in Isaiah or Joel, and right here, and Jesus referred to it too, that this whole time is like labor pain. Now watch this. People, the, the, the ladies have labor pain that starts out mild, if I can say that, and it starts getting intense and closer together. That's exactly what it shows in Revelation. Did you know that? Yes. There's first seven seal judgments. And they're, they're pretty bad. One, two, three, four, five, six. I think the seventh one opens up to the seven. Then there's seven trumpet judges. Ooh, they're getting worse. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think the seventh opens up to the seven. The third wave is the seven vile judgments. And they are hardcore, man. And there's no relief until the sun shows up. Just like a wife, a woman. There's no relief. It keeps coming, and they're uh, intense, and there's no relief until the child gets there. It's a relief. Same thing. The world is not going to have any relief until Jesus shows up. It's a labor. The whole world's going to feel like we're in labor. When is this going to stop? It's not going to stop until Jesus shows up. And it, So number five, this day of the Lord thing, it contrasts with the church's future also. Look at chapter 4. Pardon me, chapter 5, look at verse 4. But ye, that's me and you, ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, therefore let us not sleep. What he's saying there is, you, I just described it to you, but that's, you're not... That's not your realm. You're not going to be in that. We are, we are uh, of the light. We're not of this dark day. We're not. Of, in other words, the church's future is not in this day of the Lord from that standpoint. There's the they and there's the we, he says. Did you know if you look in the book of Revelation, because some people really get into the book of Revelation, they're like, dude, Pastor Henry, the book of Revelation. In chapter 6 through 19, he's like, look at all the stuff. I mean, the hailstones coming out of the sky. What kind of church are we going to have then? And these locust-like things that are stinging people that want to die and they can't die. And they, what's kind of, there's not going to be a church. There'll be Christians, there'll be believers. It'll be a, just a different setup. Did you know the word church or bride in that sense, referring to the church, is not mentioned after chapter 
after chapter 4. The church is mentioned in chapter 1, 2, and 3. There's no church mentioned once it talks about this day of the Lord, this tribulation, until Jesus comes back with her. The church is not going to be there. There'll be believers in a different way, but not the church in that institutional sense. Wow, this is crazy stuff, Pastor Henry. Yep, the church will be gone. How many of you... Um, did you know one of the first signs that, you know, some of these countries, like, you know, we had, uh, uh, you know, you have certain countries, maybe like, uh, uh, I don't know, Russia and the United States or whatever. We, we trash talk each other a lot, you know, especially in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, the Cold War. But countries sometimes do that. They start trash talking. Yeah, well, if you do this, we're going to nuke you. And yeah, and sometimes they'll do that, you know. And it, it almost doesn't matter what the countries are saying to each other. Once they pull an ambassador's, like there's an embassy, say, in you know, Russia for Americans to be at, and then there's a, perhaps a Russian embassy here, I don't know. But you have your other citizens at an embassy in a foreign country. It doesn't matter how much the countries are going back and forth, trash-talking each other about war. Once that one country takes their ambassadors out of their embassy, ah, that's when it's going to happen. Did you know what we're called? Ambassadors. Now then we, 2 Corinthians 5, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. That is a statement, a loaded statement. That means our country's up here. And everything, this is kind of like a little embassy is all it is of heaven. And when we're yanked out, that's war. That's That's what we are called, ambassadors. So two more points. What is all this? Okay, so this... This calls for number six, this whole, you're like, man, pastor, I wasn't expecting this day of the Lord this morning. Well, you're about done with it, okay? At least learning it, this part. In chapter five of this First Thessalonians, again, what's it, who's this written to, by the way? It's written to the church, so church people need to know about it, all right? We're church too. First Thessalonians five, he says, but ye, brethren, verse 4, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the darkness, nor of, nor, not of the night, nor of the darkness. So what's, what does it call for? Number, number 6 and verse 6, it calls for sobriety. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us which are of the day... Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? He's saying that let us be sober. Let us watch and be sober. And be sober. Um, Brother Adam said some things in Sunday school. It's good preaching, kind of like to sober us up a little bit about what your role is today as a Christian. It's not enough to just show up and give and walk away and try to fund the church. It's like, be involved, and be active, and be a witness. And he's talking, helping us to be watched and be sober. And that's what, the, that's what Paul's saying here to, the, to believers. He's like, okay, here's the, here's, you're going to have the rapture, but here's the day of the Lord, and sudden destruction, and all that. So then, what does that mean for us? We need to not be asleep spiritually. We need to be watched and be sober. That means we need to have our eyes wide open about life. That life is not a joke. Life is not a fairy tale. You can enjoy life. You can enjoy things of life. But this stuff is real. 
this stuff is really going to happen. There is really a God in heaven who will really snatch out his people and who will, who will really eventually begin to establish this day of the Lord. Who will vent, and, and, and there will be a real antichrist who is going to deceive the earth, but Jesus is going to come back and land on earth and he's going to defeat him at the battle of Armageddon and set up his kingdom. This stuff is real stuff. I should be sober about that. That should sober me up. You know, what is it that our minds are occupied with day by day? What is it that we're, we're feeding on or entertaining ourselves with? I'm not saying anything wrong with entertainment or reading stuff. But what is it? Is it, is it making me dumb to real life? Is it making me dumb to real reality of tomorrow? You know, tomorrow, um, we could all be gone. Then what? Some of you, you might still be here then. Because you might not be a true believer. Some of us might be gone. Most of us could be gone. A few could still be left. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that uh, gird up the loins of your minds and be sober and hope to the end. That means expect to the end of the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian sobriety. And last of all, it compels one to be saved. Number seven, it compels one to be saved. Joel, we read Joel, verse. you don't have to turn there. But listen to the chapter. It's interesting. Or the verse, it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And people have tried to interpret that different ways. One of the ways I take it is that right now there's a valley. And we're in this history time. And over here is the day of the Lord. And back here was the time when Jesus came to die for sins. And the day of the Lord is coming right here. And we're in this valley. Multitudes, multitudes. In the valley of what? Decision. Now is the time to decide for this Christ that died for you. To personally decide for him. Lest you feel the earthly wrath of God and especially the eternal wrath of God that would be in hell. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Here's what I'm saying very simply. As we're learning about this day of the Lord, it doesn't show judgments on the earth, but there's also wrath in hell. Whoever is found, not found written in the book of life is cast in the lake of fire. So right now, a person needs to decide for Christ to be saved. There is really a true hell. There is a real heaven. So right now, this is the valley of decision. While you're living, you have the, you have the moment to decide for Jesus Christ. Um, now, is the, now is the accepted time. Today, now is the day of salvation. Right now is. Before you leave, even, you can pray and accept Jesus Christ in your heart, forget about <coughs> religious attachments and, 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 and uh, labels and forget that. Jesus Christ is who, you're, who you are obligated to believe on. And uh, he's the only way to be saved. Um, uh, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Here's two reasons why a person needs to decide to be saved right now. Here's two reasons, and we'll, be, we'll wrap this up here in a minute. Because of the pending destruction. It literally, if, if we're to really believe the Bible, it sounds so outrageous. It sounds so crazy, but the Bible is being proven itself to be true, and I believe it. But it could literally be to where we could be taken up today, tomorrow, or any moment. And whoever would be left would be people who are not truly a believer. There'd be a lot of still, you know, some churches might still be just as full. They might go on as normal. Hey, kind of got rid of those self-righteous people, you know. Whatever, that's what they might say. 
No, we can do what we want. You know, all right, godless church, but it may form into the world church one eventually. But say the rapture happens, some will be left. Now watch this. We just told you, after a while, at some point, Antichrist will make this deal and the seven-year tribulation will begin. Within that time, there'll be just a lot of destruction. Who's going to be able to survive the earth? You could die easily without Christ. Here's another reason. So why to be saved today? Because of the destruction that's described in the day of the Lord. Another reason to be saved right now today is because you could die at any moment before a rapture. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We had a guy in our church. I told you this. We had a guy in our church one time. He did like, he helped do like organ, where you take the organs out of a, a body that had died and, and you, you carry it over to, you know, per, person died and they're an organ donor. And they go to the county corner, I think, and they're on tables and he, they do this thing. Oh, here's the liver and you can go, whatever. I don't know what it is. And he, he transported it. And he says, yeah, I was talking to the, the, the examiner one time. And he, we, he was out there and he says, there's all these tables, these, you know, stainless steel tables. And he's like, yeah, see these? There'll be people on there tonight, on these tables tonight. Um, um, I'm trying to remember his first name. Brother Grussell was his name. He told Brother Grussell, he goes, yeah, tonight, and this was in the morning, he was taking an organ somewhere. Yeah, there'll be people on these steel, uh, stainless steel tables by tonight. He goes, in the corner said, there's literally people driving around right now that'll be on this table tonight. <sighs> Whoa, it was Scott Grussell. He told me that. He's like, Pastor, that was, it just made me think differently. I think, yeah. I mean, I could be on one tonight. I don't want to be. But we could die at any moment. The other reason a person should be saved as soon as possible is, yeah, this day of the Lord stuff, you could die at any moment. But also deception. Follow me on this. I'm going to tell you a loaded point. I'm going to try to make it at a short time, but it's in the Bible. In 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, it says when the rapture, basically says when the rapture happens and everybody's taken out of the way, God's going to send the Antichrist and through him somehow God's going to send strong delusion to the rest of the world. And it's particularly going to, it's particularly going to snag people who beforehand love not the truth that they might be saved. It says, For this reason shall God send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie because they had not the love of the truth. In other words, somebody who's listening to the gospel right now on this or in here and is like, eh, eh, eh. Once the rapture happens, if you've been informed of the gospel, once the rapture happens, you will believe a lie. You will be deceived. There'll be people who don't know the gospel, who haven't heard it. The rapture will happen and they will be saved though. There will be other people saved who didn't know ahead of, who didn't know it. They'll, choose, they'll have the choice. But people who are being informed of it right now, according to Second Thessalonians 2, who are being informed of it right now and say, nah, will, in exchange for not loving the truth, God will give you the lie through Antichrist. Strong delusion. Antichrist will delude the world. And so you don't want to be deceived. So believe while it is day. While it is this time, believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In that A.D. 79 on Pompeii, I wish I'd show you a picture. They had, um, 
when that and that day, <clears throat> light, people didn't get to finish their day. Their people didn't get to finish their visit with the friends. The girls didn't get to finish their chat at the at the water fountain. The guy never pulled the bread out of the oven so people could eat it. Um, people didn't get to finish their meal with their family. That day changed instantaneously. But they didn't, I read also, the rest of the story is that they didn't have to die. The scientists confirm what Roman writers record and that there were weeks of rumblings and tremors that preceded that, ex, that explosion. It wasn't like nothing was sounding. It growled. In fact, 10 years before, there was a big earthquake. Another few years after that was a big earthquake. And then within months before this one of AD 79, there was some growling, little tremoring, growling, little trembling, trem, uh, tremoring. And even the day, uh, uh, days before, it started smoking more again. But then the final eruption came. If they had only listened and taken action to the warnings, they would have escaped. So is the day of the Lord. This whole day of the Lord thing, it's, it's inevitable. Just like the explosion of a, of a volcano. That volcano was going to explode. This is inevitable. The day of the Lord is inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, environmentalists will be pulling their hair out. Ah! You know? Oh, the grass is burned up. Sorry. God did it. Blame him. You know? I mean, it, it's going to happen. The, the poisoned water, God did it. That's going to happen. It's inevitable, but it's not uh, without warning. The Bible's warning us this. I think there's like, in a way, kind of rumblings in the earth right now. In a sense, there's a, you know, the fact that we have earthquakes and nuclear threat and economic woes and breakdown of family and moral standards. While they're not exactly new, and they'll always be in some way, they still point to a greater day, coming day of judgment. And it's also that it's escapable. So for us, we need to be faithful citizens of our own Pompeii, of our modern-day Pompeii. This world is like a Pompeii, in a sense, and we've got to be faithful citizens of it and warn people make time to warn people of hell and of divine judgment and that God does provide an escape from this. He that from Jesus Christ, the Bible says, who delivered us from wrath to come. God wants us to know about it. Paul said it wouldn't have you to be ignorant. He wants us to know that this is coming and I hope it sobers us up. So many, that's another reason just even not to drink. You know, people who are, there's a lot of Christians talking about drinking now. It's like, man, I can hardly make good decisions like this. I got to be, um, now add alcohol to it. You're going to be, that's adding stupid to kind of stupid already. You know, <laughs> I want to be as smart as I can, you know. So we're told to be sober. It means like, okay, I see life clearly. I see what God says. And I know everybody else is kind of thinking another way. I want to see life how God sees it, how people to be saved, live in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus. Till he takes me home. 